Good morning. <laughs> Indeed. It's, it's still, I mean, it's been many years now. It's still, uh, still quite, a, quite a jolt for me to come up here and say things that I've heard, that I've learned, that I'm learning. This week, uh, we're going to touch on something called Like a Duck, and it was inspired, oddly enough, by a walk in, uh, in the park down by, um, what is that place, Brookside Gardens, and I saw this family of geese, actually, Canada geese. I've been instructed by our Canadian devotees that they're Canada geese, not Canadian Greek geese. And uh, I, I, I learned that they mate for life, that they have families, that they raise their chicks. And uh, whenever they're walking around down there by the lake, they've always got one in front and then three little chicks and then one in the back, or four little, or how many little chicks in there. And they just uh, go around like that. And, uh, you know, they spend all their time in the water, and yet they're never wet. And uh, so when Swami put me on the spot for my monthly uh, title, I thought, like a duck. Immediately, like a duck. Uh, we're going to take some of their lessons. And uh, I, I just went swimming through the scriptures of delight last night and picked out some beautiful things to be reminded about and uh, to share as something that we can use to live in a world and not get wet. To, to be able to take the pain and the suffering and uh, the abuse and the whatnots, the disappointments and... Uh, uh, all of those things, and just let them wash over us. They don't. We don't get dirtied by them. We don't get provoked by them. We don't get angered by them. We don't get discouraged by them. And uh, for me, it's a very timely thing. You know, I find that uh, uh, these days are a lot of struggle for me to, to kind of push through things, the constant barrage of things that I disagree with that I hear and and painful things that are happening around the world, the fact that, again, we're, things are on the brink of war and conflict without having finished up the previous wars and conflict. And uh, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes. And uh, as spiritual seekers, this is the time for us to shine. This is the time where we need to be standing up, being strong, like that song says, and to grab the wheels away from the people who are, who are you know, driving this bumper car in a rather half-mad sort of way, for us to take responsibility. And uh, we may not have the offices and the positions for that, but we have lives for that. Uh, each one of you touches the life of quite a number of people. It would be surprising to you how many people are influenced by your moods and attitudes every day. And so I wanted to touch on something this morning that might inspire you in that, that might perk up that space in you that, that gets clouded over, that we begin to doubt, we begin to stop believing in, to remind ourselves of that inner grandeur, to use the word of Swamiji, which I, I had a great deal of fun thinking about that, and to wake up to that notion and, and, and to take hold of these things, that Vedanta might become living that the scriptures and the Upanishads might be seen in our lives in the way that we see them and saw them in Thakur's life and in the disciples, and that we might find a modicum of inspiration within ourselves to live a life that will do for others what, what the lives of these great saints have done for us. Hafiz has a great poem, and I've read all of them now several times over, uh, and so now you're enjoying them like I'm enjoying them, kind of like an old leftover piece of pizza. This place where you are right now, 
This place where you are right now, God circled on a map for you. Wherever your eyes and arms and heart can move against the sky and the moon, the earth, the beloved has bowed there. Our beloved has bowed there knowing you were coming. I tell you a priceless secret about your real worth, my dear pilgrim. But any unkindness to yourself, any confusion that you may have about others, will keep you from accepting the grace, accepting the love, the sublime freedom that divine knowledge always offers to you. Never mind, Hafiz, about the great requirements this path demands of the wayfarers, for your soul is too full of wine tonight to withhold the wondrous truth from this world. But because I am so clever and so generous, I have already clearly woven a resplendent lock of his tresses as a remarkable truth and gift in this poem for you. I want to start off by framing the reality. Uh, Swamiji does this over and over and over again in his complete works in such brilliant ways. So I'm just going to read a paragraph here that he wrote that just sums up what your life is about, what our lives are about. The awakening of the soul to its bondage and its effort to stand up and assert itself, this is called life. Success in this struggle is called evolution. The eventual triumph, when all the slavery is blown away, is called salvation, nirvana, freedom. Everything in the universe is struggling for liberty. When I am bound by nature, my name, my form, time, space, and causality, I do not know what I truly am, but even in this bondage, my real self is not completely lost. I strain against the bonds. One by one they break, and I become conscious of my innate grandeur. Then comes complete liberation. I attain to the clearest, the fullest consciousness of myself. I know that I am infinite spirit, the master of nature, not its slave. Beyond all differentiation and combination, beyond space, time, and causation, I am that I am. I read that just slowly to myself and tried to let each of those little pieces sink in there. And the one that I enjoyed the most, of course, is uh, the one where he asked me to become conscious of my inner grandeur. So I invite you for just a moment, close your eyes, <laughs> and for the fun of life, think about your inner grandeur. What does that mean to you? Have you ever seen your inner grandeur? Have you ever used that word in relation to yourself, to your inner life? My inner grandeur. I found that so, so lovely, so, well, funny in a way, because it is one of those ideas that is so far away. Uh, and so untouchable, it seems like. 
you know, to spend a moment imagining and appreciating your inner grandeur. So you have full permission now. I ask you to give yourself full permission to enjoy, to become conscious of, to know that there is in you an existence of grandeur, wonder. You're a beautiful person. You have an amazing capacity to make people happy. You have an amazing capacity to take away suffering. You have an amazing capacity to be a friend. You have an amazing capacity to, to follow someone's life and to let them know that you care about what's going on. You have an amazing transforming power in the way that you're able to hug people, to touch people. You have an amazing ability to make a day go smoothly by your kindness, by your gentle spirit. You have an amazing power to let a stranger know that even about them you think and care, that you move out of the way and give them the seat on the bus, that you let them go forward in front of you in the grocery line because they only have one or two things. Little things like that, that touch people. It's in you, and it is your inner grandeur. It is what you are. It is the purpose of your life to find and touch that beautiful space within and to become inspiring because you're inspired, to become loving because you are love. My true self is beyond all law. Be in tune with slavery, with nature, and you live under law. You are happy under law, but... The more you obey nature and its dictates, the more bound you become. The more in harmony with ignorance you are, the more you are at the beck and call of everything in the universe. In this harmony with nature, this obedience to law, in accordance with the true nature and destiny of man, what mineral ever quarreled with and disputed any law? What tree or plant ever defied any law? This table is in harmony with nature, with law, but a table it remains always. It does not become any better. Man begins to struggle and fight against nature. He makes many mistakes. He suffers, but eventually he conquers. Eventually he conquers nature and realizes his freedom. And when he is free, nature becomes his slave. This is a very, 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 very important little paragraph <laughs> for us to understand, especially in this modern context of things. Because we believe to be free is to be able to do what you want. But it's always important to know, as I was told in high school by, by uh, what was his name? Neil Gallagher. <laughs> Neil Gallagher, one of the greatest ministers that I ever met. Of course, I was a teenager. He was just my starry-eyed ideal. When he said, you are not able to say yes to something, you are not free to say yes to something until you are free to say no. That made such a huge impression on me and I understood. And it's a dose of medicine for us in the world today, especially in a world defined really by sexuality, uh, by, by materialism, by fame, you know, that we now have people that are famous just for the sake of being famous making no contribution <laughs> to society at large, and yet consuming all of our time and interest. It's a very important time for us to become aware of what it is that we should obey. 
We have our natures that call us into the flesh and into the world to find our pleasures, to enjoy a little bit of this, enjoy a little bit of that. And in our mind, we think, oh, if I could be free enough to do that, oh, if I could just go do that, if I could just do as much of that as I wanted, then I'd be happy. But if you look closer at those people who are getting as much of that as they want, are they what you want to become? Is the magic and grandeur accessible in their eyes? Is the ability to follow their senses and to follow the material world, is it setting the fire ablaze in their eyes? Are they bringing joy to the world? Are they using that inner grandeur to make this world a beautiful place? So you must practice saying no. It's this resistance to this idea of being a body, being defined by sexuality, being defined by age, being defined by your job, being defined by your income, being defined by your country, by the color of your body. These are the things that are getting us into trouble. These are the things, these are the differences that are separating us. And if we buy into these ideas and we identify with these things, even if we do it in self-defense, Yes, yes, it's true. I'm this color and I'm from this country, but look how great this color is and how great this country. Oh, that's nothing. Look, at, look what my country has done. If we get into that kind of divisiveness, it sounds like it's fulfilling to stand up and in your pride say, this, look what I am, look what I've become, look what I do. But what does that do? That alienates everybody not like us in that, in that, in that regard or in that way. We have to transcend and say no. I'm a spirit. I'm free from the needs of body and mind. I'm free from any requirements of happiness. There is no if I just for us. There is no when I get or when I achieve for us. There is no but for us. And this is the inner awareness. This is the inner grandeur that we have to become closely, intimately enamored with, in love with, because it is our divine nature. It's the beloved hidden within you, the truth of who you are. To keep your eyes on this and to understand this, there's some, there, there's some groundwork that the, that the scriptures lay out for us. The one that I grew up with was in the book of Romans, which was a letter written by the, the Apostle Paul to, uh, to a church in Rome. And he says to them, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution or famine or na nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. That's a fundamental belief you have to know about your life, about yourself, about your position in this world. It has to be your deepest refuge 
your deepest sense of peace. It has to be the place that you immediately go to when you're, when you're tinged with anger, when you're tinged with sadness, when something in the world drops away, when someone in the world goes their way. This is where you find your solace. This is where you learn to look and to find your value. This is where you come to believe that everything happening in your life at this moment is for your best interest is because of the love of God and that all of it is working together for good, for your good. That's a matter of faith. That's a matter of close discrimination. For you to take that as, a, as not a theorem, was an axiom, an axiom for your life, an absolute truth, something that has been fully proven. God is working together for good in everything that happens to me today, regardless of how I'm feeling about it, regardless of what I'm seeing in it, regardless of what I don't understand about it. To have this faith that at every moment God has given you all of the tools that you need to mint gold, to make beautiful things, to make ugly things beautiful. Several things come into my mind. I'm always afraid to share them a little bit, you know. I always measure the statements like that with, with the Holocaust, because that's like one of the most grim things that mankind has ever done. And I, and I always use that as kind of a test environment for thinking these ideas. And uh, I had a, a good friend of mine, Lalita, uh, a Jewish woman, uh, share a book with me about um, survivors from the Holocaust, and I've shared it before with you and one of the writings in this book was so uh, so intense to read it was a, written by a young man who survived the camps and he said when I was in the camps he said I didn't think about my past because it hurt too much I didn't think about my future because I didn't have one he says and in my present I could only see suffering and pain all around me so he said, I made it my purpose to alleviate the suffering the best that I could for those around me, despite my own. And that shows me that in the most grim and dark situation that we can possibly come up with in this world, this lesson holds true. This, this lesson can help you survive, help you find inspiration in the darkest of places. <coughs> help you find peace in the darkest of places and to touch that inner grandeur because you know in those camps, the other campers, the other, the other sufferers were touched very deeply when this man would come around at night before they would fall asleep just to stroke their forehead, just to make sure that they were feeling okay, just to make sure that they weren't sick, you know, to see, to give up whatever of his to help them. He said that's how he survived. That's how he survived that situation. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us in our life. We have to hold on to these ideals. We have to believe, no matter how insincere they seem or how distant they seem, we have to believe that this is real and this is true. Number one, God's love for us. And number two, that all things are working together for good and that you have a beautiful inner grandeur that can actuate all of it. Thomas Merton says, cultivate an attitude, an outlook, faith, openness, attention, 
reverence, expectation, supplication, trust, joy. All of these finally permeate our being with love insofar as our living faith tells us we are in the presence of God, that we live in Christ, that in the Spirit of God we see God our Father without seeing. We know him in unknowing. Faith is the bond that unites us to him in the Spirit who gives us light and love. So we have to work at this attitude of creating a sense of, of, of peace around ourselves, not getting caught up in, in the changing, you know, the news that comes our way, the events of the day, the, 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 the things that are doing well at work or that we're not doing well at work, the pressure of our bosses and of the people that we work with. We have to transcend those things and cultivate in ourselves what, he says? He says, cultivate an attitude of openness, of attention, of reverence, of expectation, supplication, trust, and joy. How could you possibly do that? By knowing that this inner grandeur that you are, that you are inviting to come out of yourself, that you, are, that you are witnessing, by knowing that that same inner grandeur is in each of those people. And your attitude of supplication, your attitude of reverence, your attitude of quietness, your attitude of, of, of presence is inspired by that, by seeing that divinity, by knowing that divinity, by finding your strength and your security in that divinity, in love itself. But more and more, our efforts to attain a new orientation instead of being directed toward ends we have chosen ourselves, instead of being measured by the profit and pleasure we judge they will produce, they are, they are more and more directed to an obedient and cooperative submission to grace, which implies, first of all, an increasingly attentive and receptive attitude toward the hidden action of God's movement in our life. It is precisely the function of meditation, in the sense in which we speak of it here, to bring us to this attitude of awareness and receptivity. It also gives us strength. It gives us hope. Along with the deep awareness of the value of interior silence, in which the mystery of God's love is made clear to us. So we cultivate that unchanging place within. Cultivate that that. that, that that base-level bliss, that base-level peace, that base-level love in the presence of the divine, in the presence of God. That we don't get caught up, because what this is actually saying and what, 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 what Swamiji was talking about earlier with, with this notion of not being obedient to nature, you know, of, of, of standing against these compulsions that come upon us without reason you know these 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 things that come into the mind without purpose whether it's lustful thinking whether it's a depression sadness hopelessness whether it's racism you know that comes into the mind or whether it's uh you know uh judgmentality you just you just look at the way somebody does something or you look at the way they are and you, you know these these completely illegitimate ideas that provoke us to action 
and that we get caught in. And once you get caught in it, it rolls. It tumbles along, and it seems to get out of control. You wake up, and you're saying horrible things. You're, you're doing horrible things, and you're like, whoa, wait, wait. Where is that grand person that I wanted to be? Where am I? Where am I? Why am I doing this? But if you stick with the ego, if you stick with doing things that you want to do, that's where it leads. If you stick with liking the people you want to like, that's where it leads. It leads to that separation. You know, one of the things that I'm very proud of in our kids here, and I, I hope to see it more and more, I saw it, I've seen it very much in the beginning, and I hope it is cultivated. I don't see cliques. I don't see exclusion going on. How refreshing that is. You know, at this center, I don't see it. I don't see cliques and exclusion going on. How beautiful that is. How wonderful that is. What, what a great accomplishment that is as we've begun to touch our nature and begin to understand that those things have no place for us. You know? That we're not driven by ego. We're not driven by our likes and our dislikes. We're not like, driven by things of the mind, the changing world. We're driven by things that are unchanging. We're driven by love. We're driven by reverence. We're driven by inspiration. We're driven by hope. We're driven by faith. These are the things that motivate us, these unchanging values and principles of truth and of strength that will bring us home, that will give us the life that we were born into, that we dreamed of, that will fulfill us in all of the things that we wrote about what we wanted to do and be when we were children and that most of us have never done and been. <laughs> because you wake up to a new reality. You know, when I was younger, I thought the fulfillment would be to have a nice little family and be able to afford to go out to eat once a week. That was my big goal. <laughs> of course, that was after I was a teenager when I thought I was becoming the most famous uh, singer in the world. You know, me and my friend Brigitte used to make our posters advertising our concerts in town, and we would hang them up at the bus stop <laughs> downtown. But you grow up, and you begin to realize, you know what, the things that I was looking for in name and fame were not there. The things that I was looking for in the security of family were not there. The things that I was looking for in the security of having enough money to be able to go out to eat once a week were not there. And something happens when you get to this middle of life, this middle age, and you begin to weigh things and look at things. You think, wow, a lot of the ideals that I have lived and served in my life have not produced what I had hoped have not given me what I needed, have not given me what I was looking for, have not changed from symbol to reality, but have remained symbolic. That's when we start looking at truths like this, and we have to go deeper. We have to go inner, under, sub-mind, sub <laughs> to get to these deeper ideas. One of the desert fathers named Amonas the Desert Fathers were these monks that retired into the desert caves uh, yeah, outside of Israel there uh, and in the Middle East. One of the old fathers wrote, writes, Behold, my beloved, I have shown you the power of silence, how thoroughly it heals, how fully pleasing it is to God. Wherefore, I have written to you to show yourselves strong in this work you have undertaken so that you may know that it is by silence that the saints grew, 
that it was because of silence that the power of God dwelt in them, because of silence that the mysteries of God were known to them. This inner stillness, this inner quiet, what is it? It's the absence of ego. You know, how many, how many more people do we need in this world who think they know the best how to do everything? You know, that was one of the things when I was, when I was a brahmachari. I angered an unangerable Swami. <laughs> because he just got sick and tired of me. It was my first couple of years in the monastery, in the Vedanta centers. And they're, they're run, I can assure you, very differently from what I was accustomed to. And I would walk around constantly criticizing everything. He would ask me to do a task, and he'd want me to do it in a certain way. I would have a better idea. And I was firmly convinced that my idea was a better idea and that if we did it my way, it would work better. And I was so proud that I would refuse to do something in the way that they asked me to do it if I didn't think that that was the way it should be done. You know, that was that, that was that egotism. And, you know, I saw that many of us are like that. You know, I would get a group of guys together and we'd have to put up this giant circus tent every year in Olima for, for the uh, Memorial Day celebration. And it takes full cooperation to do something like that. It takes everybody absolutely working together. And one of the things that we as a group of people had to learn first is that we had to shut up about how it should be done and do it the way that we're being told. Because you would get these guys together, you would send a group of them over to put together the information tent, and you'd go over there an hour later, and they're still fighting about who's in charge. You know, About, no, we should put this corner up first and then that corner up. And then they would eventually, the first couple of years, until we really started working together and kind of getting some of these things worked out, it would come to a point where they would all just stop talking to each other and start doing their part of the tent in their own way, the way they thought it should be done. And you'd have a group of five people working as five independent people. And I tell you, when, you know, when the first year when that information tent was done, one corner was up higher, one, they'd put one long leg with one short leg, you know, the one on the hill. It was this wonky <laughs> mess. That's what life happens. That's what happens to your life when you walk along thinking you know what's best. When you know all the answers for your spiritual life and for your ways. I don't need a guru. I don't need a teacher. I, I can figure out what is right and what's wrong. That's probably true. You'll probably get that tent up, but it will probably look pretty wonky. It will probably look pretty wonky. Because why does the scripture tell you you need a guru? Because you need something outside of your ego, my friends, to tell you where to go. You need something outside of a lie of self to find truth. You need something bigger, something, something unchanging to give you direction in your life. Because you're all over the place, all right? You wake up one morning, you're happy. You wake up one morning, you're depressed. You wake up one morning, you're eager. You wake up one morning, you can't imagine that life could go on one more day like this. You're all over the place. What in that mess is leading you where you need to go? <laughs> From this day, you're in this mood, ah, oh, this is what needs to be done. Tomorrow, you're in that mood, oh, that needs to be done. Well, what about what you were doing yesterday? Oh, well, that's not proper for today. Where are you going to go? How are you going to get there? with this bouncy, wobbly ego that you call yourself guiding you through this life. It knows nothing more than what it thinks it knows, and it has no validation for any of that. So let go of this notion of I know best, and be quiet. Be quiet. Sit down and shut up. <laughs> 
silence the ego and sit before your beloved and learn. Learn by what? By the way you discover that love within yourself. As it slowly unfolds, as you slowly begin to hear the things that you have not been able to hear for years, that inner grandeur, that inner peace of unchanging love, of unchanging inspiration, of unchanging knowing, a depth of confidence and of peace that very few get to touch, even though they've carried it in their very self for their whole life. Behold, my beloved, I have shown you the power of silence, how thoroughly it heals, and how fully pleasing it is to God. Wherefore, I have written to you to show yourselves strong in this work you have undertaken, so that you may know that it is by silence that the saints grew, that it was because of silence that the, inner pow- that the power of God dwelt in them, because of silence that the mysteries of God were known to them. So as I read this, you know, my mind wants to argue. It's like, well, what, what's, what's, what's the activating power in silence? The activating power of silence is the divine. Because what is the silence? It's your ego being quiet so that it can hear the inspirations of your nature. So that it can hear the inspirations of pure love, of pure intelligence, and take advantage of pure existence. To radiate and spread that grandeur, that love. Takor says, the mind is everything. It's like a white cloth just returned from the laundry. It will take any color you dye it. Knowledge is of the mind. Ignorance is also of the mind. When you say that a certain person has become impure, you mean that impurity has colored his mind. All right, so what did I just start that paragraph with? What was the first thing that he said? The mind is everything. The mind is everything, and it will take on any color that you dye it. That puts you squarely in charge of the condition of your mind. It's very important to understand that, that you are fully in charge and fully responsible for the condition of your mind. It's very important, and it's very hard to believe. Because in the beginning, we're not accustomed to being in charge of the mind, right? Oh, I'm just in a bad mood. What do you mean you're just in a bad mood? What is that? That's you being controlled by something that you're supposed to be in charge of. I'm sorry I said that. I was just angry. What? You were acting according to something that you were in charge of? That doesn't give you any permission. That's not a reason to be mean. I was angry. I was upset. I wasn't thinking clearly. It's still your fault. Stop it. You're in charge. The mind is your disciple. You drive it. You determine what it does. It does not determine what you do. You know, in the struggle with depression, which is something I talk a lot about, and I hear a lot of people talking about it, this is one of the most important things to understand. Because the mind will continually present to you a very bleak and dark image of what this world is and what the potentials are. So what? So what? 
You are the image of the divine. And in the dark world, the darkest world you can imagine, there is service available to you. There is activating an inner grandeur that is yours, available to you. To move, to inspire, to care, to lift up, and to build up. We have a place for struggle in the Vedanta, but not for fear. All fears will vanish when you begin to assert your own nature. If you think that you are bound, bound you will remain. If you think you are free, free you will be. All fears will vanish when? When you begin to assert your own nature. How many times do we talk about this? I talk about this all the time because this is my favorite thing in life right now. Is <laughs> trying, to, trying to find, first of all, trying to, to gather up that little what thing that has been scattered all over the place, this inner nature, this inner grandeur, this strength of love, this strength of being, this strength of knowledge, to touch those things, to find them, to get them in arrangement, to understand them, and then to live by them, to set them free, to let them out to let them out. All fears will vanish when you assert your own nature. If you think that you are bound, bound you will remain. If you think you are free, free you will be. This works in every way, you know. I did a very interesting experiment. <laughs> it's one I'm very uncomfortable with. My mind didn't like it at all. But I woke up the other day and I was feeling extremely down. I was feeling all that, all of that whole mess that comes to the mind sometimes. And I decided, you know what? I'm just going to be happy. I just decided I'm just, I'm just going to get up and I'm just going to pretend that I'm happy. I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to listen to all this stuff in the head. I'm just not going to pay any attention to it. I'm just going to decide that I'm happy and I'm going to get up and do the things that I have to do and I'm going to be happy about it and glad about it and positive about it. And you know the first thing my mind argued with? But there's no reason for that. You can't be happy without a reason for being happy. You can't be happy without a cause for happiness. Otherwise, it's not real happiness. You know, that's not what the scripture is telling us. We don't need causes to be what we are. We are bliss itself. We are truth itself. We are purity itself. We have a beautiful inner nature, always present, always loving, always interested, always caring. To assert that is not to come up with a reason. To assert that is to let it be because it is. To let it manifest because it's the reality. And to understand that all of the reasons that support your, your unhappiness, all the reasons that support your restlessness, all the reasons that support the struggles in your life, those are the things that are changing. Those are the things that are unreliable. Those are the things that are not part of that inner silence, that inner assertion, that inner isness. Those are the things that are a lie. Those are the things to be kicked out and to be ignored. There are two ends or aims of human life. Real knowing, vijnana, and bliss. 
Without freedom, these two are impossible. They are the touchstone of all life. We should feel the eternal unity so much that we should weep for all sinners, knowing that it is we who are sinning. That's real oneness. When you look at somebody stuck in a situation and you don't judge them, to judge them is to be separate from them. To judge them is to completely misunderstand who you are and what your relationship to this world is. To judge them is stupidity because it is you engaged in that activity. And it should evoke nothing but compassion. It should evoke nothing but empathy. It should evoke nothing but the best of hopes for them and inspire nothing but the deepest concern and movement on your part to help and to care and to love and to listen. They are the touchstone of all life. We should feel the eternal unity so much that we weep for all sinners, knowing that it is we who are sinning. The eternal law is self-sacrifice, not self-assertion. And that lie is what causes most of our discontent in life. If only I could be what I'm supposed to be. If only I could accomplish what I want to accomplish. If only I could make what I want to make, build what I want to build, realize a vision that I have, that self-assertion. That's where frustration comes from. That's where disobedience comes from. That's where anger comes from. That's where frustration comes from. Because in that, the ego is running out front and saying, I'm great enough. I can do this on my own, for my own sake, because it's my idea. And it's the best one. That goes nowhere. Self-sacrifice. Giving up yourself is what will make your life beautiful. Not becoming the CEO, not becoming the president, not out-earning Bill Gates, not, not having the first Tesla off the assembly line. The thing that will bring you happiness is self-sacrifice, the absolute opposite of what you believe will make you happy. How's that for a twist in the video game? Do the thing which is absolutely opposite to what you think will make you happy, and you will find your inner joy. You will find your inner bliss. The eternal law is self-sacrifice, not self-assertion. What self to assert when all is one? There are no rights. All is love. There are no rights. When we stand up and start demanding our rights, we've lost our way. Rights are what we give. And we give them freely and lovingly. Because it is our nature. We don't want somebody to have to demand their rights. That means we've already failed. If someone out there is demanding their rights, it's because we have failed them. We have not loved them. We have not opened our heart to them. We have not been what we could have been. We have not heard our inner grandeur. And we definitely have not acted accordingly. We're called to this love, to this sacrifice. What self is to assert when everything is one? There are no rights. All is love. The great truths that Jesus taught have never been lived. Let us try his method and see if the world will not be saved. The contrary method was nearly, has nearly destroyed it. 
Selflessness only, not selfishness, can solve the question. The idea of right is a limitation. There is really no mine and thine, for I am thou and thou art I. We have responsibility, not rights. We should say, I am the universe, not I am John or I am Mary. These limitations are all delusions and are what holds us in bondage. For as soon as I think I am John, I want exclusive possession of certain things and begin to say me and mine and continually make new distinctions in so doing. So our bondage goes on increasing with every fresh distinction. We get further and further away from the central unity, the undivided infinite. There is only one individual, and each of us is that. Oneness alone is love and fearlessness. Separation leads us to hatred and to fear. When we take the distinctions that make us different, when we take our needs above the needs of others, that causes isolation, that causes fear. And when you get caught in that cycle, you know, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you sit in front of your computer playing your computer games to find some peace from the, the struggles of the mind, the struggles of your life, you become a victim. You get caught in a cycle that increases bondage and it goes down and down and you begin to think, oh, I have no friends. Nobody cares about me. Nobody reaches out to me. Nobody encourages me. When you hear things like that, it's time to take a deep look at yourself because chances are you're not reaching out to anybody else. Chances are that you're not looking to the needs of others either. Chances are that you've become self-consumed. That's the time when you need to go inside to shut down the noise of the mind that's telling you all of these lies, to support an ego that doesn't exist, to assert a self that is wrong, <laughs> that won't lead you home. It's time to sit down and be still, be quiet. Know that love is around you in every place that you look and see. Know that love is the only motivating factor of everything going on outside of your window. And know that until you actuate and live according to that same divine spirit within yourself, isolation will be your, will be your karma. <laughs> isolation will be your experience of this world. Because you're isolated not because nobody cares about you. You're isolated because you're not caring about others because you're, you're, you're too locked up in caring about yourself and your own feelings and your own needs. I'm trying to let that one soak in for a minute. <laughs> one cannot divide the rights of the universe. To talk of right implies limitation. It is not right, but responsibility. Each is responsible for the evil everywhere in the world. That's a good one to remember. And a hard one. All that is wrong with the world, we contribute to it. Each is responsible for the evil anywhere in the world. No one can separate himself from his brother. All that unites us with the universal is virtue. All that separates 
is sin. You are part of the infinite. This is your nature. Hence you are your brother's keeper. The first end of life is knowledge. The second end of life is happiness. Knowledge and happiness lead to freedom. But not one can attain liberty until every being, ant or dog, has liberty. Not one can be happy until all are happy. Do you remember that? <laughs> Do you remember that in, uh, you know, uh, elementary school, you know? Nobody leaves until this room is spotless. <laughs> Nobody gets to go out for recess until all the books are put away. And so you sit there, what do you do? Well, you, you go start picking up books. You still go, start go putting them away, even if they're not yours. They're now your problem. You see, this is the idea of seeing oneness in all things. Everybody's problems become your own. Everybody's needs become your own. And you're busy, 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 out there helping, <laughs> planting, watering, nurturing, growing, touching, helping, building. Because none of us gets out of here until all of us get out of here. Because we're all one. And we couldn't be happy until we knew everybody was happy. We couldn't be content until we knew everybody was loved. That's the responsibility of your nature. That's the responsibility of being grand inside. That's the responsibility of being created in the image of the beloved. That you're not caring about your own realization, you're not caring about your own happiness, not caring about your own success, but you're deeply involved in everybody else's. As your own. As your own. Because you know that it is them, it is you in them that is hurting. All that unites with the universal is virtue. All that separates is sin. The world is so evil because of Jesus's, because Jesus' teaching, resist not evil, has never been tried. Selflessness alone will solve this problem. Religion comes, to the in, comes with intense self-sacrifice. Desire nothing for yourself. Do all for others. This is to live and move and have your being in God. No mystery. Live for others. You want the fulfillment of your religion? You want to know what you're going to be like when you have that realization, when you have that knowledge, that awakening? You will do nothing for yourself. You will never get up in the morning and say, what do I want to do today? You'll never go into a restaurant and think, what am I going to eat today? You'll never walk out your front door and say, hmm, what do I feel like today? Because your life is not about you. Your life is to wake up in the morning and say, how can I make this a better day for the people I meet? What can I do for my family? What can I do for my mom today? What can I do for my dad? What can I do for my brothers? What can I do for that pain at the camp? What can I do for that guy I don't like at the office? What can I do to make this world more beautiful? 
to express my love for the people around me in a deeper and better way. What can I do? When you first start that, the first thing that will happen is your mind will come up with all the reasons you can't. <laughs> you can't do that. Oh, you don't like that person. That's why you're not doing that. Oh, that person's that political sway. I'm not going to help them with that. You know, oh, that person did that. They haven't apologized. I'm not going to do that. These are the places of mind, the places of ego that we must be free from. So when Jesus said, resist not evil, because Paul is our Vivekananda, that's probably a pretty nice slip, Vivekananda and Paul. Vivekananda says, uh, you know, that the reason that, that this world is in this condition is because resist not evil has not been tried. We haven't done it. So I went to that verse in Matthew. Matthew was one of the direct disciples of Jesus. And he wrote in his fifth chapter of his, his story of the life of Jesus, this is where that verse is that he's re replying to. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on your right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue you at the law, take away your coat, let him have your cloak also. And whoever will compel you to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks of you, and from him that would borrow of you, do not turn away. You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain to the just and to the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward is that? Do not even the worst do the same. And if you salute your brothers only, what do you more than others? Do not even the general population do that? Be perfect, therefore, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. This is the call. This is what not, has not yet been tried. This is what we have not yet done. Here or anywhere. This is our challenge in the room today. This is our challenge for each other right here. If some of us offends you, turn the other cheek. Don't let the ego react. That's what he's saying. Who is there to be offended and who is there to offend when everybody is one? What is there to understand and misunderstand? We are one. If somebody offends you, turn to them your other cheek. If they steal your coat, look for something else. Chase them down to give them the rest of the silverware, as the story goes. Look for opportunity. You can't give enough. Live accordingly. You have an infinite amount of love, an infinite amount of patience in you. It's part of your nature. Start giving it away freely, not to just people who have earned it. Give it away freely because it's what you are. It's what your nature is. If someone asks with you to go for a mile, go with him too. All right? So kids out there, your mother wants you to wash the dishes. Wash the dishes happily and then put them away after you dried them. You know, dad wants you to mow the yard. Mow the yard. Then trim the hedges too and weed the garden on top of it. 
That's the way to do it. You, don't, you can't even begin to imagine how wonderful your teenage years will be if you live by that rule. <laughs> you cannot imagine what nice things your parents will do for you. They'll probably do nice things anyway because they're your parents. But if you live like this, if you love them with a heart like this, how wonderful your family will be. How wonderful your life will be. And your friends at school, do you treat them like this? How about the kid that's getting picked on all the time that you don't want to be associated with? Do nice things for them. All this online bullying, I know you see it in your feeds every day. Do you counter it? Do you say something nice to the person being attacked? Do you chime in with something positive to lift them up? Better than that, do you call them and say, oh my God, I saw what such and such said on the Facebook. I just want you to know it really hurt me to read that. I'm with you, bro. Don't pay any attention to it. We can get through this. That's who we are. That's what we are. Don't do the shopkeeping. All right. I'm going to switch down to the last year. The history of the world is the history of a few men who had faith in themselves. That faith calls out the divinity that is within You can do anything. You fail only when you do not strive sufficiently to manifest infinite power. As soon as a man or a nation loses faith, death comes. There is a divine within that cannot be overcome, either by church dogmas or by blackguardism. A handful of Greeks speak wherever there is civilization. Some mistakes there must always be. Do not grieve. Have great insight. Do not think what is done is done. Oh, that it were done better. If a man had not been God, humanity would have by this time become insane with its litanies and its penitence. None will be left, none destroyed. All will in the end be made perfect. Say day and night, come up, my brothers. You are the infinite ocean of purity. Be God. Manifest as God. This is that beautiful ideal, you know, that at one time the atheist was the man who didn't believe in God. But today the atheist is the man who does not believe in himself, the woman who does not believe in herself. To know God is to have faith in yourself and to know that you can do anything. And what do you do with that ability to do anything? You don't stand up and say, what can I do? That's self-assertion. What you do is what he says here at the end. Say day and night, come up, my brothers. Come on, everybody. Stand up. We are all one. We're together. I can't be successful in my spiritual life without you being successful in yours. I can't be infinite in my love if I can't encourage you to be the same. We live for each other. We look out to be helpful to each other. We don't just buckle down on our own greatness, stand up to become our own great, strong, heroic leader in the world. We reach out and lift up. What is civilization? It is the feeling of the divine within. When you find time, repeat these ideas to yourself and desire freedom. So when you're sitting there on the bus, when you're sitting in traffic, What do you think about? 
not what you're going to make for dinner, you know, not whether you forgot something at home, not whether such and such or such and such. No, think about these things. God, I'm infinite love. Imagine that. I'll never die. Wow. I've never been born. My nature is pure. The meaning of my life is to give and to love. Think about those things. It will change the way you experience your life. Sit in the car instead of, you know, glancing around to see, uh, you know, whether you're going to make the light or not. Smile at people. <laughs> you know, make them happy in any way you can. The history of the world is a few men who have had faith in themselves, and this faith calls out your divinity within. This divinity within cannot be overcome by any of the negative things in this world. Everything in the end will be made perfect. Say it day and night. Know it to be true. Come up, my brothers. You are infinite oceans of purity. Be God. Manifest as God. When you find time, repeat these ideas to yourself and desire freedom. That is all. Deny everything that is not God. Assert everything that is God. Mentally assert this day and night so that the veil will grow thinner and thinner. I am neither man nor angel. I have no sex nor limit. I am knowledge itself. I am he. I have neither anger nor hatred. I have neither pain nor pleasure, death nor birth. I never have had, for I am knowledge absolute. I am bliss absolute. I am he, my soul. I am he. Find yourself bodiless. You never had a body. It was all a superstition. Give back the divine consciousness to all the poor. Give back that divine consciousness to all the downtrodden to all the oppressed, to the sick. Give, give, and give again. Water off a duck's back. Live in this world and the principles of the unmoving, the unchanging. Know yourself to be that, firmly established, firmly rooted. Don't stand up, but help the one next to you stand up. Don't become great but help the one next to you become great. Don't look for what you can do, but help in what needs to be done. Become a part of the whole, for we are one without a second. We are that divine love, that divine intelligence, the manifestation of our beloved. Unfold that and be free. Let's take a few moments to think about these things. When I play my lute, the invisible one calls a conference, and the angels travel far, knowing a rare entertainment will soon take place. When I play my drum, my notes become so real, the winged ones throw saddles upon them, and outrageous holy rodeo begins. No one has ever sat with Hafiz and not left for the better. No one can read my poems out loud in a tender, loving voice and not narrow the difference, not narrow the gap between you and God. 
I have so many younger brothers and sisters scattered upon this earth. There are always friends of God in this world. Find one, offer him service, for their glance is generous and cannot help but forever give. When Hafiz plays his lute, my notes ascend into the air and form infinite blue crystals that will move on the wind's breath for hundreds of years as my sacred debris, as the divine dust rising as a gift from my singing bones.